welcome. I'm David Hyde, a politics reporter here in Seattle, Washington, looking leftward. Erica C. Barnett, author and editor of Publicola. Hi, Erica. Hey, David. And to Erica's right, but not on the right, political consultant Sandeep Kaushik. You say that so uh, unconvincingly, but hello. I say it because I don't want you to feel defensive, and I know you're not on the right. Um, All right, this week... You say it so much, it it, it almost sounds like you believe it. Yeah, don't think of an elephant. This week, so much news that we're just going to skip the chit-chat, get right to it. Seattle City Council elects its first Native American council president and its Seattle mayor, Bruce Harrell's first week. So we're going to get at what he said, but more importantly, what can we expect from Harrell, who's often compared, especially by the national press, to New York's mayor, Eric Adams? What is it going to mean for Seattle and by extension, other blue cities, particularly in the East Coast, that are destined to follow in Seattle's footsteps, just like they did with the $15 an hour minimum wage? But just to kick it off for folks who don't even know a thing about Seattle, and and maybe they don't care, but maybe we'll convince them to care, who is this Bruce Harrell? Well, I'll jump in. Um, I um, have covered Bruce Harrell for for a long time. He was a city council member for 12 years. Um, But before that, he, um, as he never hesitates to remind people, is a local boy who made good. He's from Seattle Central area. He's African-American dad, Japanese-American mom. My mom's family immigrated from Japan, grew a business, only to suffer internment during World War II. He went to Garfield High School, was a football star for them, um, stuck around, went to the University of Washington um, and became a corporate attorney, worked for U.S. West for a long time and then, you know, has been kicking around in politics for well over a decade. And, you know, he's an affable guy. He's on the the right edge of the left, kind of like Sandeep. He's, uh, (laughs) I guess you could say he's a, you know, he's a liberal progressive politician. But in the context of Seattle, you know, he has some views that I think are on the more moderate side around things like policing, homelessness, housing and stuff like that. All right. And that's what we're going to get into. One tidbit, another Garfield grad, Quincy Jones, introduced Harold and his wife. Really? Way back well, that's when. really interesting. And I and I think I think actually just very briefly Harold's wife Joanne Harold is a big part of his story as well. She's a big muckety muck at Microsoft for a long time, but you know, I mean he he also as much as he mentions football, he probably mentions his wife and uh, her influence on on him and his career and his beliefs um even more. Well, I would just add in that with respect to the Quincy Jones thing that, you know, Bruce has deep, deep ties, particularly to the black community here in Seattle, but also the Asian uh, community as well. Obviously, he's mixed race. And I went to a, to an Asian community celebration of his election, and it was a packed room, a big restaurant down in the ID, hundreds of people there, incredibly enthusiastic ab- uh, uh, about Bruce's election from the Asian community. And so, you know, so he does have deep roots uh, in the city. All right. So... He just gave a speech. There's always a ceremonial swearing in the first week. In this case, it was kind of a pared down, almost like more of a press conference. But in any case, for both of you, just to kick it off, is there a line? Is there something that he said that just really stood out that kind of crystallizes where you think Harold's headed and where perhaps Seattle's headed? Yeah, I thought there were two themes to the speech and that I pulled out of it. But the line uh, that exemplifies one of them, and I'll quote here. If there is one thing I believe in without pause. So if there's one thing I, uh, I believe in without pause, if there's one thing I want to leave is my legacy as the mayor of Seattle, is that we are one Seattle. See, in a one Seattle, we invite dialogue and learning, collaboration, thoughtful exchange, 
that quote sort of exemplifies a key aspect of Bruce's uh, approach to governance, his style, and a, a key factor in his election, which is that he's somebody who attempts to and certainly presents himself as someone who's going to try to bridge divides in a diverse and often polarized city. He's somebody that's going to work with all sides to try to build unity. On the point of, you know, of Harold's speech being about unity, I agree. I think that he did talk a lot about unity. I also think that he talked a lot about divisiveness and how he feels his opponents have been the you, sort of the the causes of divisiveness. He said, you know, we're going to abandon negative tweets and we're not going to listen to those. When we move toward healing and reparation and restoration and we reject slogans and, and mean tweets. You know, if people are if people are still cynical and oppositional, um, and I, I thought oppositional was was a was an odd <laughs> choice of words for a politician. I mean, you know, in an election, some some percentage of the electorate is going to oppose you by voting for your opponent, and they're going to oppose your ideas too, to some extent. And you know, the idea that if you are opposed to a, a person or Harold in particular's ideas or policy proposals, then you are being oppositional and you're being negative, and you're not you know, joining the bandwagon. And that's just, I mean, that's not how any mayor is, is ever going to be able to govern. So for those who are still cynical or oppositional, I welcome the opportunity to have a dialogue with you. And I simply ask that very simple request. Give us a chance. Give us a chance. I mean, I, you know, it's a, it's an initial speech. It's a speech about optimism. The, the line that I kind of pulled out of it was, was actually very similar to your Sandeep. It was the line, uh, in Seattle, we replace fear with love. So in one Seattle, we will replace this fear I opened with, with love. We're stronger when we work together. He also talked about, you know, wanting to get rid of the idea that Seattle is dying. I think he's going to be challenged if his approach is not uh, so much around replacing fear with love, but around the other stuff he said about opposing people, you know, people who disagree with him need to get on board. So there, I think there's two things going on there with, with Bruce Harrell uh, that uh, are somewhat contradictory. One, he really sees himself and I think uh, feels that he's demonstrated somebody who really is capable of speaking across divides and across big divisions, that he can speak to communities of color in an authentic way, that he can, uh, you know, but that he can also talk to the business community, right? That he can talk to um, uh, social justice folks and activists in, a, in an authentic way. So I think he really does believe that, that he can speak across those div divides. At the same time, as Erica mentioned at the top here, he was on the city council for 12 years and knows how divisive Seattle politics can be. And in particular, he's very well aware of the kind of Twitter left kind of, uh, you know, uh, ideological warrior sort of attack culture. And he knows that those people opposed him strenuously. And I think he kind of feels like, hey, this is my swan song. This is the last job I'm ever going to have. And I'm not going to be afraid to kind of call out those people uh, as being kind of, kind of, you know, um, uh, the word, as Eric, as you mentioned, the word he used was kind of cynical and oppositional, you know, just kind of uh, always in attack mode kind of is the way he's going to characterize them. And I think, 
to his credit, I think I think it's probably to his benefit to use those people as a foil to a certain extent. Um, oh, I, I uh, think that uh, uh, it would be to his benefit to ignore them. I mean, if I was, you know, I'm not I'm not a Bruce Harrell advisor, Sandeep. I know that you you were a Bruce Harrell advisor during the campaign, no. but, but no, my... no, 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 no. I was on the IE side. I was not. There's no okay, okay. You were a supporter. So, but, but I mean, but, but honestly, like my, my advice, and this is, this is not me being cynical or oppositional. My advice would actually be ignore the, ignore Twitter, first of all. And I know that's rich coming from me because I post on Twitter all the time. But if you want to be not, you know, not a divisive leader and a person who unites people, I really do think that, you know, you have to learn to just brush off the people who are never going to like you, who are always going to call you ridiculous things, you know, who are going to say you're a fascist and, you know, and all the the stuff that you see on Twitter that's, you know, that's obviously, I mean, because that's absolutely right. Of course, the left on Twitter can be incredibly unreasonable and can say, you know, things that aren't true and, you know, tries to start fights all the time. Um, you, but you know, if you're the mayor of a city, man, you shouldn't be like reading your, the tweets about yourself any more than, you know, you read the comments on a blog. Uh, well, and I think largely he will. Again, we're kind of drilling down pretty deep into his speech to kind of pull out these subtexts and, and, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, and they're there. But the top line of his speech was incredibly optimistic and boosterish. You know, I'm, he was mayor cheerleader, right, about Seattle. And he's like, I know, and, and he was particularly referencing the sense that Seattle, I know people are feeling kind of down about Seattle and we've gone through some rough times and maybe you don't feel safe or maybe you don't because of COVID or other stuff. Um, uh, but Seattle isn't dying. Our best days are ahead of, you know, he did this whole kind of, kind of booster cheerleader thing. And I think that is genuine Bruce Harrell. That's how he sees his role as mayor. And I think we're going to see a lot of that going forward. Starting today, we will lead the city with an obsession with excellence and kindness, inclusion and hope. We will balance optimism and we will reject these attitudes of fear. This may be slightly off point, but I do want to contrast his speech with the speech that Ann Davis and the new city attorney made just before Harold made his speech. Um, so he he specifically said we're not gonna we're not gonna fall prey to fear. We're not gonna be Seattle is dying. You know, as Sandeep said, our best days are ahead of us. Ann Davison specifically said when I. You know, when I talk to people in Seattle, what I hear is fear, 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 fear. People are afraid to walk outside. They're afraid to walk down the street. They're afraid to go to restaurants. They're afraid. And I think that that contrast is going to be really, um, you know, I don't know if it'll be defining because it's possible that Ann Davison will end up being kind of an irrelevant city attorney. You know, we don't know yet, but that's, it's such a huge contrast between, you know, the kind of optimistic, optimistic vision of the future and everyone's afraid. Everything is terrible. We've got to, you know, we've got a lockdown. We got a crackdown. Yeah, um, so I, I, it, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see how those two visions interact. There's definitely some difference in the visions. I don't think they're as oppositional as you're making them out to me. I mean, Bruce did acknowledge at the top of the speech that uh, there's some fear about there, and he's talked about that that you know uh, uh, when he ran as he ran for mayor as well. And so you know, I think that's part of the reason he won. He sort of called out the left for gaslighting the voters by saying there's no problems here and they shouldn't, you know, that if they have any kind of fears, that they're reactionary, um, you know, heartless assholes, right? And and uh, and he's, you know, so I do think he's, while he's he's much more of a kind of Seattle's not dying, I'm a booster for the city 
he's also, I think, in that speech and I think going forward uh, in his policies is acknowledging that some things have kind of gotten out of whack in the city. You know, Eric Adams of New York is known as a guy who kind of ran very explicitly against the left and, and you know, one doing that. And Bruce Harrell says he's different than that. I'm wondering how he's different. I, I think he is different than that, right? I think he may be a, a, a notch or two more progressive than Eric Adams. Bruce Harrell's natural approach is, as I was just saying, to try to find common ground and to try to try to appeal, uh, you know, appeal across divides, across ideologies, across uh, silos and all of that kind of stuff. And so that is a bit different from Eric Adams, who was more pointed. And, and, and Eric Adams is being talked about already by people like Nate Silver as a potential Democratic Party uh, nominee for 2024 for president. Do you think we'll hear any of the same about Bruce Harrell? I think Bruce Harrell has made it pretty clear that this is, you know, I mean, things can change, of course, but that, you know, he's coming out of retirement because he wanted to be mayor. Um, Bruce is, you know, has has always been, and I think this is genuine, you know, a, a, a Seattle person um, and, and someone who is, you know, who stayed in Seattle uh, after he went to college here, uh, turned down a scholarship to Yale, I believe, um, and, you know, has just has been uh, very much part of the city. And and, and so I, I don't know, I just it's hard for me to imagine him, you know, either going to in, joining a presidential administration, running for higher office um, at this point. Um, but, you know, I mean, anything can change. The guy just got elected. I, w- I wouldn't put much stock in uh, what Nate Silver says these days. I believe he was just comparing uh, kids uh, going back to school to the Iraq war. So, you know, he's I, I, look, <laughs> he's I, gone I, around the bend a little bit. I, I think Eric Adams is an intriguing figure. We'll see how he does as mayor of New York. And I will also say, I think it's, it's, it's African-American elected officials uh, you know, like Eric Adams or um, Bruce Earl here in Seattle, our council member in Portland, like like Mingus Maps, who are most able, uh, I think, politically to take on the disproportionately white sort of sort of far left on things like abolition and defunding cops. And there I do think you will see Bruce Earl stand strong for um, for for, you know, not defunding the police and not abolishing the criminal justice system. And you'll see the same from Eric Adams. And you'll see that from other uh, elected officials, particularly black elected officials, but elected officials of color in a lot of cities, uh, because um, uh, I think they have they have more authority, progressive authority to speak on those matters. He seems to want to be liked by people who have very different agendas and goals for the city. And is it possible to be liked by both of those sides, Um, Sandeep or Erica? I mean, because that's what I heard, is that he wants to be liked by the abolitionist left, you know, and by the sort of Ann Davison right. Well, he's never he's never going to be loved by the by as as Erica was saying by the by the sort of hardcore Twitter left activist crowd. They don't trust him to begin with. They didn't vote for him. Here's the point, though. He can be a unifier in the sense that in this city, the, as Erica says, the, the Twitter left is its own kind of subset. And there is still a very strong kind of progressive left contingent of people that are winnable for him. People in communities of color and people in, um, you know, who care about social justice or people who care about uh, inequality or what have you. Right. And 
he can appeal to those people. His He has a base kind of on the more moderate progressive side, but he can build outward from that base in a progressive direction. And I think that's what he intends to do. He's never going to get the the fringos like the NTK crowd is never going to like Bruce Harrell, but um, but he can get a lot of progressive voters that are short of that, right? And he can I, I get mean, to, I, I think that approval ratings are really about a lot more than, you know, what what does it say on your white paper about your position? And I think that, you know, the Ann Davison, right, I mean, Ann Davison is a declared Republican, super unusual in Seattle, <laughs> to, if not unprecedented in recent memory to elect a Republican. Um, and, you know, and the, the sort of Sunday preferred to NTK, Nicole Thomas Kennedy's uh, city attorney candidate, who's um, an abolitionist. So those those sort of polar extremes, yeah, politically, policy-wise, they're never going to like Bruce Harrell. I think that, and we talked about this last week as well, you know, the difference um, on that, you know, that 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 ten percent or so that you can get of people who don't approve, you know, that ten percent of the of the population of people that don't necessarily approve your positions but kind of like you. I think Bruce has an edge with those with those folks because he's a likable guy, and you know, and I I, I want to just kind of that, rather than contrasting specifically with the last mayor, I'll just say you know, as I said, he's affable. He's a really good campaigner. I do think in this last campaign he had a little more of a hard edge to him that uh, worked to his def- detriment because he did get really agitated about stuff that people were saying on Twitter and people were saying on the left and feeling like he was being misinterpreted. But uh, but I think if he can kind of, uh, you know, he, he also said, and this was another line I, I almost called out that, that jumped out at me as well as, you know, give us a chance. And, um, and what I'm hearing from people who are not on the far left, but are kind of, you know, more progressive or lefty than Bruce is, yeah, that, that seems reasonable. We'll give you a chance. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, he's, he's good at building goodwill for himself. Also this week, Deborah Juarez uh, elected. She is in as Seattle's new um, city council president, the first Native American ever elected to that position and actually to, to council when she was elected back in 2015. I, and I kind of want to ask both of you, because you have special access and insight into how the sausage gets made in the city. There were other candidates for this position, but she's the one who managed to prevail. And uh, in, in priors, nobody seemed to really want it. So, you know, uh, who is Deborah Juarez? And then let's get into some of the, the sausage making. But first, just just who is she? Yeah, so she is um, an attorney. I mean, before before joining the city council, she had a long and varied career working as an attorney. She was a public defender. She was a King County Superior Court judge. She served as a financial advisor um, on behalf of uh, an investment firm uh, working as a uh, kind of liaison to tribal groups and tribes, um, you know, politically. So she's been on the council for this is her um I believe second term. She actually uh, defeated Ann Davison, our current city attorney, in her last election. Um, and you know, politically, she's kind of on the on the moderate uh, end of the council spectrum. The council is generally, you know, to the left of the mayor in Seattle. And uh, so, you know, she's she's a moderate liberal by Seattle standards. She tends to vote for things like more police funding, but she's also um, been a real ad- advocate and ally for Native communities on the council. And um, you know. Know, getting, getting, helping to secure funding for Native American homeless service providers, um, and uh, and she is a uh, she's a district council member. She's she represents North Seattle, and she will let you know it. <laughs> um, she's very much an advocate for her district. People call her DJ D five Deborah Juarez District Five because um, you know sort of famously um, 
that's, that's what she always talks about. And she's always advocating for money for her district. Yeah. I, and, and just to be really clear, I mean, Deborah is herself Native American and that, you know, identity, her identity as a Native American is very central to sort of the, the, the core of her, her personality. I would also say she has a really independent streak, right? I mean, she's, um, uh, yeah, she tends to be kind of on the, on the moderate progressive side of the council, but she votes with the left a lot too. She, she, she tends to be kind of her own, uh, her own person and, 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 and can be, uh, you know, idiosyncratic kind of in her, in her approach to politics and political views. Um, uh, and so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, her, how her tenure goes as president of the council where, you know, we still have some probably bigger divides in this council now than we did over the last couple of years where there was a kind of left, uh, movement left progressive supermajority, right? That sort of determined, determine the outcome on a lot of stuff. And now it's more closely divided. And she was one of of two out of nine council people not to pledge to defund the police by 50% or more back in 2020, uh, which was a real rift at that time. I, I just I want to push back on the movement left thing. I mean, our city council is elected. Um, they are not, you know, I mean, they are elected by voters. If it's if it's the movement left that they represent, yeah. then the movement left, uh, by your definition, Zandip, is, is a majority of Seattle because they keep electing a city council that is more progressive than its mayor and frankly has done that you not, know, to not some extent or another election, the whole time. <laughs> well, not there were two. There were two uh, people on. There were two people on the ballot. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, out of out of one nine a, city one councilors, one barely at a race. But but uh, we'll but, see. But, we'll uh, see in twenty twenty three. How did she get this job, and what does that signal about changes at the Seattle City uh, Council, if if any? It was a. I think it is symbolically important that Deborah won, and, and this was a contested battle, despite the unanimous vote at the end for her, which is sort of typical. The the kind of a, a lot of the battles at the City Council happen you know, behind closed doors. And then uh, at the end of the day, everybody comes together symbolically, you know, to, to present a unanimous uh, front. But this was a very contested race. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious, Erica may have way more inside knowledge of sort of how it went down than I did. But Councilmember Lisa Herbold really wanted the position of council president. Deborah campaigned fiercely for it. She deployed, you know, kind of kind of made the contest more public. The Seattle Times editorial page weighed in on her behalf. Some outside groups weighed in on Deborah's behalf. I think I think um, the Herald administration uh, was hoping that it would be uh, Deborah who was the next council president. And at the end of the day, she was able to corral a majority of the votes from her colleagues. And I do think that's an indication of a, potentially an indication of a change in direction from what we've had at the council over the last two years. And, and just... To, to provide a little more kind of context and I guess in, in, insider, insider, um, details that people may or may not care about, but, uh, you know, my understanding. So it was, it was a contested battle. Um, Lisa Herbold, uh, you know, is the head of the, uh, the council's public safety committee, which oversees the cops. Seattle Times was really advocating that Deborah get the job because, you know, in part because she would then supposedly strip Lisa of her, her committee, uh, leadership. That did not happen and it was never going to happen. My understanding is that in, in the background, what was going on is that Lisa had corralled enough votes to win. Um, but as you said, I mean, these votes are, are typically and, you know, pretty much always unanimous. Um, and I think, 
you know, there was a lot of there was a lot of pressure going on that was not public for Lisa to step aside. And um, and and one of the reasons, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, Deborah is the first Native American um, to be the president of the council. And I think, you know, it was it was kind of important symbolically. And, and Deborah also, of course, did have support on the council. And ultimately, <laughs> I will say, I mean, it is an administrative position. The council president does have some power, but the way it was being portrayed by the Seattle Times and others who are really hyping this up as a story was that, you know, this this person is going to lead the entire legislature branch and everyone will march in lockstep. That's not what the city council president does. They assign committees and most of the committees stayed exactly the same as they were and they run meetings. And one thing I think stylistically that Deborah will do is run a tight ship on meetings because, you know, one of her things um, has always been let's let's end the, you know, the endless speechifying and blathering. Thank She's God. Some kind of- if, if the only thing she does is cut down on some of the performative blathering and posturing we get at the city council, my God, that would be a godsend. <laughs> First of all, well, I think, Erica, both of you and I, I heard a few weeks ago that Lisa uh, uh, was was at least claiming that she had a majority to become the, the council president and then that mater- never materialized. And what I heard, I haven't been able to confirm, but what I heard is that the swing vote here may have actually been to want. And, that would not surprise me at all. And, and what's really interesting is, and this goes to sort of Deborah's sort of uniqueness at the council, Deborah and Shama Sawant actually have a, 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 a really pretty good personal relationship. They don't agree politically on a lot of stuff. But if you talk to Deborah, she will say, I really respect the fact that I can go and have a conversation with Shama and she tells me exactly where she stands. I don't. I, I, I don't feel that I'm getting misled or, you know, some of the game playing that happens on the second floor uh, ever happens with her. And they seem to genuinely have a decent personal connection in the way that Shama doesn't have with any of the other uh, council members on the second floor. And I think that played a role in, in, in Deborah emerging as the council press at the end of the day. But I will say you were talking about speechifying um, and, you know, Shama Sawant is the is the most speechifying speechifier on the council. And (laughs) Deborah has, you know, has shown absolute, I mean, just open disgust and frustration. (laughs) And, you know, there is a discussion um, of, of you know, sort of limiting. I mean, there's a discussion about changing the council rules last year to limit speeches. And Deborah was all for that. Um, didn't happen. So I, you know, there's not, there's not much that the council president can actually do to stop people from giving speeches basically as long as they want to. So, you know, I mean, I think she will continue to express frustration openly (laughs) about that kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I do think she, you know, I I saw her run her first meeting, you know, and I've seen her run committee meetings. She's, uh, she's a good administrator and she, she runs a tight ship. So, you know, maybe we'll see uh, slightly shorter council meetings. Who knows? Well, let's end it there. Thanks, Eric and Sandeep. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to another episode of Seattle Nice. If you like the show and you want to support it, you can do that through our Patreon account. And the best way to find that Patreon account is actually through our Twitter account. That's Real Seattle Nice on Twitter, where you can also direct message us and tell us what you think of the show, what you'd like to hear us tackle in future episodes. And thanks so much for listening. Happy 2022.